0: We're in Genesis chapter 18 we've been looking at the life of Abraham we took a little break for a couple weeks and uh, we were last in Genesis chapter 18 talking about Abraham the friend of God and that's what this chapter is about and the next chapter as well it really should be sort of included because especially what we're going to look at today we're going to look at how um, Abraham ministered to his friends all right and basically when you look at this chapter and we looked at these first two points already we find this chapter is broken up into these three areas of ministry the ministry of abraham first of all he ministered to the lord remember it was the lord and two angels that appeared Uh, they appeared as men initially later we know the identities of all of them uh, but we know one of them these out of these three that appeared to abraham and came and sat with him and had a meal with him uh, and he ministered to them. One of them was the Lord. And if you read John in the New Testament, John chapter 8, we find that Jesus says it was him, that he was there with Abraham. And we would say that would be a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Before he took on flesh, uh, the incarnation, he was able to come and he was, he was there uh, at the time of Abraham Some. 2,000 years before that event. Then we see him ministering to his wife. And we looked at that last time back in the early part of April. And we looked at how uh, Abraham ministered to his wife. And I hope that you came away from that, understanding that we as men especially have a great obligation to minister to our families. And uh, we're all part of that, right? Uh, Men and women. He ministered to the lost world. That's what we're going to look at today today in this last half of the chapter and we're going to pick that up in Genesis chapter 18 and in verse 16. We're going to read down through this because I think it's important to get the full context and then we're going to go back and look at how he ministered to a, a lost world. Genesis chapter 18 verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And, uh, excuse me, I jumped ahead here. There we go. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, Then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now I I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Lord, we come before you we want to thank you for your goodness we want to thank you that you are the great intercessor the one who even now is praying for us we thank you for those that lord have interceded on our behalf over the years perhaps uh, relatives friends people from this church people elsewhere people that only you know who have interceded for us lord in our lost condition and thank you lord even those now that intercede on behalf of us uh, for those that are are now saved What a great ministry. Help us to be such a people and to come to you in faith. Thank you for your marvelous grace. As we open up your word, may you open it to our hearts and minds. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here this account, and the picture here is uh, the two uh, men we know in chapter 19. They're actually angels. They appear as men, and they have uh, what appears to be flesh flesh in on them because they are able to sit and eat a meal with Abraham they aren't just these apparitions or somebody would say a ghost or something like that that's not at all and the Bible uh, says in the book of Hebrews that it's possible that some have entertained angels unawares they looked very much like normal I would say men as they approached yet one of them the third one who is there we know is the Lord himself and Abraham understood that and knew who he was And they sit down, they have a meal. Uh, We've talked about that already. And now the time is is there because there's two angels are on a mission. They're actually going to Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities of the plains that were in that region that remember way back in the previous chapter, we looked at when the nephew of Abraham, Lot was his name. He moved himself from the plains of Sodom all of a sudden into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was in there. And they were doing great wicked things there in dealing with sexual immorality. And that's described in chapter 19. Uh, the sin of homosexuality is seen in that. And matter of fact, in the uh, legal term, sodomy, that word comes from the Bible. And it comes from this chapter of 19 and in chapter 18 here. Um, and it was, a, as according to what Genesis 18 says, a grave sin. Their sin and their wickedness had come before the Lord... And he has now dispatched angels to go there, and they will be involved in both the judgment of God upon a city, but also the deliverance of the righteous that were in the city. say, righteous people living in that city? Yes. Uh, We find out Lot and his family who was there, his wife, um, they were there, and according to the New Testament, Lot was actually, actually vexing his soul with their filthy deeds. He was a righteous man in the sight of God, and yet he was engaged by living there in the deeds that were being perpetrated. God was still going to deliver him. The book of Jude talks about those saved as by fire, and probably Lot is the best example of that in Scripture as one who was delivered out of a city as judgment was falling upon that city. We'll look at that in the future, but we're going to look back at this because the Lord gets ready, uh, these, these angels leave, these two men, they start off, and Abraham and goes with them to see them off. He's being a good guest. He's ready to say, you know, depart in peace and shalom, right, as they head off. But then the Lord stops and says, shall we, referring to that group, um, not basically tell Abraham what is about to happen? And he lets Abraham in on the reality that judgment is, is about to fall on a city because the outcry of the sin of that that region had come up before the Lord. And we find Abraham immediately, he doesn't go and say, Oh, that's that's good, and walks off, you know, have a good day. He stops right there. He's so moved by that, and I'm sure in his mind too, he's thinking about Lot, and he's thinking about the people that were there, and he says, Perventure, or what if there were 50 righteous people in that region, in that city. Would you spare a city for 50 righteous? And the Lord says, yes. Abraham's thinking probably in his mind, thinking I've been to Sodom and Gomorrah or been near there, and I don't think there's 50 in that city. Lord, perhaps five less than that, 45. If there were 45 righteous, would you think you'd spare it for the 45? And he said, yes, I would spare it. How about 40? Yes, I would spare it. How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? Perventure your 10 righteous people in that city. Would you spare it? And the Lord says, yes, for the 10. He would spare it. The sad thing is there weren't 10 righteous people in the, so- in the city of Sodom in Gomorrah. It was a place that had been given over to grave sin. And that's the Lord's description of it. And... We read about that later on and we see it in chapter 19, some of the things that were going on there. But um, Abraham is seen here as, and he's really put together with a number of people in scripture who are called to intercede on behalf of a lost world. A world that is in its sin and a world that has really uh, been separated from God because of their sin. By the way, we're all part of that world when we're born in this world. We come into this world shaped in iniquity. We're born in sin. And because we have that sin nature and that really that sin nature that's been passed on right from Adam all the way to the present generation, we have been estranged or broken away from God. That relationship which Adam knew before sin was broken when he did sin. And that has been passed on. And we're not any different than the people in Sodom and Gomorrah in our sin because sin always is an affront and it's against god and this sin had come up against the lord he understood and now he's going there to see it in person if that's uh, the way you want to the way he describes it here he certainly knew already what was going on and the judgment was there at the door it was about to fall And we see Abraham, and this is about the life of Abraham, because he models for us someone who takes it seriously and realizes he needs to intercede on behalf of those righteous people that are there. So he begins to do that. He begins to intercede, asking the Lord, 50, 45, 40, 30. And he's going back and forth, back and forth. He's dialoguing and really he's praying to the Lord. And is it really pictures for us someone who is willing to stand literally between heaven and earth and intercede on behalf of the people there in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There are a number of occasions in scripture where people interceded on behalf of their people or other people. Moses is a good example. Uh, I think of Moses in the book of Exodus. And the picture in Exodus chapter 32 is is Moses who's gone up onto the mountaintop, Mount Sinai. There he is uh, actually uh, engaged with the Lord in that way and talking to the Lord. The Lord gives him tablets of stone uh, to write his commandments on, all of that going on. And while Moses is up on the mountain praying with God, having an encounter with God, Aaron, his brother... All right? Sometimes the people in your own household are the ones that will do the worst things. Just to let you know that. Aaron, who was supposed to be a priest, an intercessor, decides that the people or the children of Israel, now that they're living in the wilderness, um, that they needed a God like the Egyptian gods. Some kind of God they could touch and feel. Some kind of God that they could see. Not just this holy God who appeared there with the glory of God in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, but something more tangible. And he introduces idolatry, really not for the first time because they had been doing that before, but idolatry into the camp of Israel while Moses is up with the Lord. And they, Aaron says, I want you to get your gold earrings, your jewelry, all that, and I want you to melt it down. And behold, they made a golden calf And they began to worship the golden calf. By the way, that's a very bad thing. It's sinful. It's called idolatry. And in the commandments of God, he says, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me. There are no other gods. And yet they decided to ascribe their worth and their worship to something that had been made by their own hands. This is where we pick it up in Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. listen, God says to Moses, I'm going to judge these people. He actually calls them your people. (laughs) And Moses is lumped in with them. He's their leader. And he says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to pour my wrath upon them. And I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm still going to make you a great nation. God could take the rocks and raise up people from the rocks. He could do that. But he was going to do a greater thing. He was going to have people repent. People turn back to him in faith. You see, in our sinful ways, we do things like the people of Israel. We make idols And we worship idols and we do things like that and ascribe worth to those things and not to the one true God who's the one who brought them out of Egypt, right? It wasn't a golden calf that brought them out. It was God. And can you imagine how dare a person say, it was this that brought me out, not you. That's what they were doing. My friends, when we sin against God, that's exactly what we do. We say, I'm doing it my way and I don't want anything to do with you. And you can see why a holy God would take exception to that. And he has every right to. He's our creator. He's our maker. He's our Lord. Whether you believe that or not, that is who he is. And he says, I will pour out my wrath on them. Moses didn't say, well, that sounds like a good deal. Yeah, they're a stiff-necked people. I have live with them all the time. You know, (laughs) get rid of them. Sometimes we would like to. We'd say, oh, just take care of those, Lord. It's a good thing I'm not the judge of all the earth. Back there in Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He always does right. Look what it says in the next verse. And Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. He pleaded with him. Oh Lord, don't let it be so. Oh Lord, no. He says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Now this sounds very interesting because he's almost arguing with God, right? But the Lord wanted him to do that. The Lord wanted Moses to be a leader that would provoke his people to repentance, not just a leader who would say, okay, wipe the slate and we'll start over. These were real people. They were, and and he reminds the Lord of that, and the Lord knew that, but he reminds the Lord, and he says, oh Lord, they're your people. They're your people you brought out of Egypt, and the Egyptians are going to now say, you just wanted to bring them out to harm them. What kind of God is that? No, the Lord was going to show that even if they were a stiff-necked, sinful people ascribing value, worth, and worship, whatever, to, uh, to something other than himself, he still loved them. And he still wanted to save them. Look what it says. He goes on to say, Remember Abraham? That's Genesis 18. Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. We have here a direct correlation between Moses interceding before the Lord and asking for mercy on his own people and the Lord turning away his wrath. My friends, when we look around us and we see a world that is filled with all kinds of evil, and often evil that people are calling good. And by the way, what, just because you call something good doesn't make it good. And just because you call something evil doesn't make it evil. But God declares those things, and he has given us his word to show us those things. And, and I say that because we uh, are very good as, as a people, a society, of uh, coming up with moral values and things that are totally opposite of what God Ascribes The biggest one, turning our backs on him and saying, I'll do it my way, and I'll make it there on my own, whatever that is. We do no better than what the people of Israel did in Moses' day, or the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in Abraham's day. We find him interceding for his people. Oh, Lord, do not harm them. Do not pour out your wrath on them. And the Lord Turns his anger away. That's what the word relent means. He changed direction. By the way, God didn't change. It wasn't that all of a sudden Moses said, I'll get God to finally uh, understand. Like, God needs to know how this really works. That's not the way it works, by the way. God already knew what was in the heart of Moses. He knew the beginning from the end. He knew the whole story. He was there as a sovereign God, He knows all things. And he wanted Moses to intercede. He was going to make Moses a better leader. He was going to make the people of Israel repent from their sin. And he was going to raise up, indeed, true to his word, seed that was like the stars of heaven, innumerable. Think about that. We know the commentary on the intercession of Moses because in Psalm 106, verse 23, it says this. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen one stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy them. Listen. If Moses had not interceded for the people of Israel they would have been wiped out. How I know that is because the Holy Spirit testifies it in, of, of it in the Psalms. And he uses an interesting word here. He says... Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach? Breach isn't something we use often, although it's a term that's used and most of us have heard it. But a breach, in this sense, is a gap or a break. It's a Hebrew word, Perez. And it means a crack, a rupture, a split. It's a word in the English we get. It's an old English word borrowed from old German um, which we use even today, like broken, broken in in the old, but the breach, it's a crack, it's a break, it's a rupture. It's a breaking, infringement, or a violation of a promise, an obligation. If you breach a contract, you've basically said, I'm not going to abide by that contract. Any severance or separation between two factions of the party. There was a breach between two factions of the party guess what when sin entered into the picture there was a breach a broken way and people could not go back to God when Adam and Eve they left the garden and they went out God placed a, a fiery angel at the at the path back into the garden and no man could ever go back in because there was a broken way and sin had broken it. In the military term, it's a gap in an enemy's fortifications or a line of defense created by bombardment or attack. A whale breaking through the water, breaching the water, a whale coming out of where it normally isn't. (laughs) Whales don't fly, but they can break through the water briefly. A breach. Or the breaking of a sea wave on the shore or a rock. Good thing the shore is there, it holds back the sea, doesn't it? But sometimes it breaches those things and... Deadly consequences. Or an obsolete word for a wound, a breach in the skin, an injury. You know, the word breach is really a very apt description of what sin has done to man and to God. Because it is sin that has broken that, that perfect union of fellowship between God and man. We can't go and be with the holy God because we're not. We need someone who can intercede on our behalf. And Abraham and Moses, they were intercessors. They were people that stood there. But you know, sadly, there's times when, when people aren't there to intercede. I think apathy is a word that is used to describe what it's like sometimes when believers who know better just become hard to sin, hard to ...to the sin in the world and the sinners in the world... ...and they walk away and they don't care. They don't care. Think of William Carey... ...who was a pioneer missionary in India... ...and he was used mightily in the country of India... ...even to this day some of the ministry that occurred... ...in the early 1800s, late 1700s in India... ...with William Carey from England when he was there is still continuing to this day there are Christian colleges and there are Bible translations of, of uh, languages that had nothing of the word of God translated because of the ministry of William Carey and he, he was a man that was willing to stand in the gap to do that and yet when he went back to England and he was talking about the lost of India people and what they were doing things like the practice of sati sati was a a practice that was eventually outlawed because of the push from William Carey and some of the Hindu scholars who understood that the practice of sati was not even in the Hindu Vedas or the scriptures that they held dear and William Carey had even translated the Hindu scriptures to show the people there that they should not practice these things Of course, he translated the Bible, which was truth. Sati was the practice of if a if a man died, all right, um, his wife she could be in perfect health. She was taken and she would be bound and she would be put on the funeral pyre, the the thing they burned the bodies on, you know, the the wood. They'd be put alive next to her dead husband, and she would be burned alive. When William Carey witnessed that, he was grieved to his heart. He tried to stop it. It took years, but he eventually got it outlawed. When you say a Christian can't make a difference in a big country like India or a country like the United States or something, you're wrong. Sometimes just the one Christian who's willing to intercede, and he did so. Man, often in the Indian culture, they would have older men marrying younger women and you can imagine the amount of young women that died just because their husband died awful practice anyways he went back to India or excuse me to England and when he told people about these practices some of the reaction was this one, one church group he was with said this if God wants to save the heathen he'll do it without the help of you and me If God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without the help of you or me. That was the attitude. Oh, God have mercy on churches and Christians that have that kind of attitude toward the lost. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29. Ezekiel was a great intercessor. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Sounds like he's reading the headlines of the United States. He's reading it 600 years before Christ. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap, Perez, before me on behalf of the land. That I would, should not destroy it. But I found no one. No one. To stand in the gap. We have that standing in the gap ministries. Right Kristen? With the Bibles that are handed out. To some of our high school students in, in Van Buren. To the high school seniors. After graduation. What an aptly named ministry of standing in the gap. Because. Because. Whether those Bibles ever get opened by those individuals, whether those Bibles ever get read thoroughly or not, someone has taken the time to stand in the gap for them, for the people. And not one of those students could ever go away saying, no one ever cared for me. No one ever wanted me to be saved, to know who God is and His way. But I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads says the Lord God someone willing to stand in the gap D.L. Moody and later Billy Sunday the evangelists of the 19th and, and 20th centuries early on well known names in their day D.L. Moody used to tell a story that came out of the Civil War time when there was a group of marauding outlaws that were going through the Midwest essentially and they were going and just uh, wreaking havoc over uh, the various parts of that area and the Union Army um, officials put out a notice to all these towns that if these men were caught, they would face a firing squad. They would be shot and killed for what they did. And they were, they were thieves, they were robbing things, they were murdering people. It was, it was a bad bunch. Well, sure enough, a group of them uh, was caught. And they were brought before the firing squad, and they lined up these men. Their grave was right behind them. They had them dig their own graves and everything. They lined them up, and they were getting ready to fire upon them. And the commanding officer was there. The soldiers were raising up their weapons. And all of a sudden, a man came out of the woods running. And he said, wait, wait, wait. He says, I I know, I know one of these guys. I know him, and he has a wife, and he has children, and they need him. He says, I will take his place. Would you do that? (laughs) He says, I will take his place. I will take his guilt. And he went and he stood there in the place of the man. And the man, the commanding officer, allowed that man to go free. The order for fire was given and the men were killed, all of them. Their bodies were buried in their graves. That man whose life had been spared went back to the scene and he dug up the body of the man that had been killed in his place and he put it up on a pack mule and he went all the way back to Kansas City and there he interred him in a cemetery and he eventually erected a monument and he said this, it says, in sacred honor of Willie Lee, he stood in line for me. I don't know who Willie Lee was, but that man went through his whole life knowing that he was alive and his kids were alive and had, were able to go on, all of that because of Willie Lee. My friends, there's a greater who has stood in the gap for you and me. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's one thing to stand in the gap for others so that you like. People that are decent people defending them we we all would do something like that I think it's in us to want to do that it's another thing when it's your enemy it's another thing when it's someone who's a a criminal that should die because the law is cut up with them the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ stood in the gap for us at the cross Romans chapter 5. Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith. The word justification means declared righteous. How could I be declared righteous? I'm not righteous enough of my, myself. I'm not. Neither are you. So how is it that the holiness of God could be put on my account? Because I'm a sinful person. Can't happen that way. There's a gap. There's a, there's a breach. Look, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus provided himself a way for us to come back to God. We get his righteousness. We get his, really, justification, holiness. He gets our sin. He stood in the gap. He goes on to say in verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You can put your name in there. If you don't, you should. (laughs) Sometimes we think we're really good. We're not. Even our best of actions and works and everything fall short of the glory of God. They fall short of a holiness and the standard that God has. And he wants us to be saved. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here I am over here, lost in my sin. By the way, much like Sodom and Gomorrah, if you were to go into Sodom and Gomorrah in the time of Abraham and you were to walk into that city and say, hey, do you guys realize that the judgment of God is about to fall upon you? People would have laughed. <laughs> Where are you from? Oh, you're that, you live out there by Abraham? Oh, yeah. That, that Abraham was out there. You know, he's just a redneck, right? Living out there in a tent. <laughs> he's just a hick, right? Just a simpleton. Let me tell you something. All the civilization of Sodom and Gomorrah and the technology and all the great greatness of that city that had obviously attracted Lot didn't pale in comparison to what Abraham knew because God let him in on a little secret that judgment was coming. By the way, God's people who walk with him will always know more than those that don't because they know the mind of God. And by the way, he's given us the completed book, the Bible. There's no excuse today for man to not know what the end is like and how to be ready for it. Look, we'll go on. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. See, Jesus took my place in the line. The guilty should have gone to death but instead the guiltless one we shall be saved look what he says been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life amen it's resurrection power right resurrection celebrated the resurrection day last week in the east they celebrated today matter of fact people around the world celebrating the resurrection of Christ and by his life his life secures that victory over death he says we shall be saved by his life and not only that but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation that means a way back. This little image appears in tracks and other places, and I think it explains the gospel so well. It really does. When you look at this, you see people on one side, right? Uh, you have the man standing there, and he represents his condition in his sin. And underneath him is eternal death because He, in his sin, will always be separated from God forever. Because when Adam sinned, we all sinned in him. And death was passed on to every person. And you can't be saved by anything you do. Nothing. Religion won't save you. Morality won't save you. Your uh, best of works, whatever it is, charitable deeds, those won't save you some sacrament like baptism or whatever isn't going to save you. What saves you is faith in him, the only way of salvation. It's through grace and not of works. It is through faith, belief, trust. And see, God is on the other side. God who has prepared heaven and in heaven there is no sin. And a sinful person cannot enter into heaven or else heaven would be ruined. In the presence of a holy God, there cannot be sin for eternity. And so God says, how am I going to make a way that man can get back to my presence? God put on flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, even as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Bible talks about the humiliation of Christ, that he humbled himself... He became a man, right? He walked this same earth that we do and all the heartache that's in it. And he went to the cross. He suffered death. And in doing that, he made himself a way. But better than that, he had victory over death and he secures the way by himself now. Isn't that great? So the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the way to God. The only way. There's no other way. Abraham understood that. Moses understood that. Ezekiel understood that. Willie Lee probably understood that. Do you understand it? Which side are you on? You can make that step of faith in your heart even before we leave this building today. You can just say, Lord, I believe. And make that transaction and say, Lord, I I turn from my sin towards Christ. And you're the only way. The cross. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the way of salvation that is given to us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody that is here today who's a stranger to you, that even now in the quietness of this moment, they would truly turn from their sin And by faith accept you as their savior. Saying Lord I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I need your righteousness in my life. Oh Lord give that to me. Lord you have promised. That you will save such. Who come to you with a contrite heart. And Lord come to you for strength. Because in our own selves we are not strong not strong enough and so I do pray that even today in our world many would come to saving faith in Christ and understand these very simple things and Lord help us to intercede on behalf of those who are still strangers to you who may not want us to even intercede for them yet Lord help us to do that to battle on our knees before you in prayer oh Lord or to be able to go and to witness and open our our mouths to make known the truth that you've given us. Help us to be people of the book, to live righteous in this world which is so contrary. And we thank you for examples of people like Abraham and Moses and Ezekiel and the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus himself who has given us a way to get back to God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.